every single one of us, even today, we are tempted to believe in lies of the evil one that say we will be fulfilled if we do such. It's not true. Jesus said to all of that, Jesus like in your face, Jesus says, happy are the unhappy. Hi, and welcome to Live in the Light. Hey, if it's your first time here, we want to simply welcome you to our show. Live in the Light is a radio ministry that aims to see radical transformation through the revelation of God's Word. Simply put, we open God's Word and we pray that we will all see the life that God blesses. And hey, speaking of the life that God blesses, that's the name of our current series in the Beatitudes. And today's message, Happy are the Unhappy, is a vital word for us all. Hey, how do you view the days of mourning in your life? Does your mourning and your grief and your tears lead you to the right understanding of where comfort is found? Our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons, explains more as we dive into Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, and today's teaching. Some of them, they just look kind of blah, and some people fly to look pretty darn grumpy, all right? Why? Because only Jesus Christ can make true joy. Only the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll do it in a way the world never expects. Listen, listen, all of us are tempted every day to pursue paths of joy that are false, to pursue pursue paths of happiness that, that don't add up, that are empty. Every single one of us, even today, we are tempted to believe in lies of the evil one that say we will be fulfilled if we do such. It's not true. Jesus said to all of that, Jesus like in your face, Jesus says, happy are the unhappy. What? Blessed, he says are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. Jesus says today, today, your people here, you are here to hear this. And that God will give you eyes and hearts to believe and see. He says, you are truly blessed as you choose the pathway of mourning, which leads again to true blessing. A lot of questions are coming up out of this. I get that. Let's try to distinguish what biblical mourning is. Uh, two ways we want to do that. First, I need to, point 1A will be this. Um, I need to mourn over personal sin. There's mourning over personal sin. This is what's most important to you as an individual before God Almighty, that you will mourn over your personal sin. It's the truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, see, God created this world to be in perfect harmony with himself. But what happened? Genesis 3 happened. Sin entered the world through the temptation of Satan, but Adam and Eve, their fault, they chose that they wanted to be like God. They strayed away. And the moment they take the apple, the moment they disobey God, the moment they try to be like God, sin enters the world. And at that moment, sin enters the world. The harmony of God is broken. And that's why the earth is cursed because of sin entering the world. That's why we have tornadoes and hurricanes. That's why we have flooding. That's why we have to toil the land with such energy to try to get crops from it. Uh, This is why you and I will die. This is why we age. This is why we get sick. This is why we fight illnesses. This is why we have weeds again in our gardens because of the curse of sin upon man. This is why every single person will die physically. It wasn't supposed to be that way but these are the effects of a fallen world. 
These are the effects of going against the Lord in our sin. Think of the reality. Think of the true devastation. God is perfect. God is perfect love. God is perfect holiness. God is the absence of anything evil. God is the absence of anything impure. And you get a sense of God and you see how great and awesome he is. But we try to get to God because if we're with him, we are safe. We are secure. We are made whole. We are made new. We are rescued from all our own sin. We try to get to God on our own, but we can't because of the that has been made from sin originally with God, but sin comes in. We are separated now and we are here and God is here and we try so hard to run and jump over the chasm, but we can't. Doesn't matter how many good deeds, doesn't matter how many prayers you pray, doesn't matter what you do, you can't get to God. You will always fall down in the chasm of sin leading to death. That's the problem. And the person who sees that, the person who sees God is so awesome, but I can't do it in myself. This is when brokenness becomes. And what you need to get there is you need to see that all have sinned, including yourself, and you need to admit it's your fault. You have to get to the place where you take responsibility for your own sin. And if you don't think you've sinned, just ask someone you live with. And if they're honest, they'll say, yeah, I live with someone. I live with a couple of people. I live with a one-year-old. Now, her name is Bliss. Now, that's a hard name to live up to sometimes, isn't it? Especially when you're one. So I got to admit, Bliss, a lot of the time, she's happy. She's got a great smile. She's a feisty little girl, all right? But sometimes my nickname for her isn't Bliss, but rather it's Blizzerable, all right? Because sometimes she is, she's blizzardable. And like, here she goes. And if she doesn't get what she wants and she decided that's not working out according to her sovereignty, she will throw herself back on the floor, bang her head and go into crying. And that's what she decides to do. Listen, it might surprise you, but I didn't teach that to her. All right, all right. She has found out a way on her own. Why? Because fundamentally she is a sinner. Now, no, Bliss, if you listen to this message later on, like daddy loves you, okay? <laughs> I, I love you, but here's the reality. Bliss, you're a sinner. And you'll say, yeah, dad, so are you, amen. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Here's the point though. It's our fault. Sin is our fault. And only the people who see their sin for what it is and that it has offended a holy God and not blaming someone else and not trying to admit that there's nothing wrong. Only the people who see that in light of God's holiness, they begin to mourn. And as they mourn, they move on the path to grace and comfort. See, this is the, this is the backwards. This is how crazy, how beautifully this is in God's plan. When you mourn, you actually become happy. The sadder you become in your own state, the more you are fulfilled with the state of God upon your life. The more you can admit you need him, the more you will see the fullness of God growing in your life. Think of how the Bible portrays this. Isaiah and his vision of God in the temple of Isaiah chapter six and the train of God's robe fills the temple and Isaiah senses the holiness of God in just a smidge. And what does he say? He says, woe is me. Woe is me, he says, just trembling and shouting. I am a man of unclean lips. That's his response to the glory of God. Peter in the boat, when Jesus pulls in a miraculous amount of fish and something in that moment, it it clicked with Peter. He is God, I am not. And Peter says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What's going on there? There's a boat and there's fish. He's sensing the glory of Jesus Christ, that he's the radiance of the glory of God. And he's like, you are so far different. I'm not worthy even to be in your presence. Depart from me for I'm a sinner, he says, oh Lord. Think of David in Psalm 51 and after his sin with Bathsheba, against you and you only have I sinned, oh God. 
He says, I have been brought forth in the iniquity from my mother's womb. Think of the sinful woman in Luke chapter seven. I love this story so much. The sinful woman weeping at the feet of Jesus, bawling her eyes at why? Understanding the mourning of her sin. And we'll get to this in a moment. Also understanding the supernatural grace of God that is meeting her in her mourning over her sin. See, all these examples contain sorrow. But listen, listen, a sorrow that will lead to joy, to big time joy. We've got to distinguish this though. This is not worldly sorrow. This is godly sorrow. You say, what's the difference? Worldly sorrow, I've seen this a lot within my office in the last several years. Worldly sorrow is I am weeping and crying right now because my life is messed up because my life is not going the way I wanted it to go. Therefore, I am sad. God, make my life better according to my desires. I'm weeping, that's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is I've been hurt. Godly sorrow is I have hurt God. Worldly sorrow is I'm offended from what's happening to me. Godly sorrow is my sin has offended the Lord. This is the absolute turning point to seeing true life take place in someone's life. You say, you got a verse for that? Uh-huh. The second Corinthians uh, chapter seven on the screen for you. Here it is, here it is. Here, look, look, look. For godly grief, godly sorrow, good sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. There's no regret. Godly grief is, God, I've sinned against you. Then you welcome his grace and love. You see the cross of Christ bearing fruit in your life. You are changed forever. But worldly grief or worldly sorrow produces death. Why? Because worldly sorrow does not see the reality of what's most important. Worldly sorrow says, I want it to be my way. I don't, I'm not really sorrow, sorrowful that I have sinned against God. So the one leads to life and the one leads to death. And notice how that verse ends. It says, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. You see that there? You see there? It's godly sorrow which produces passion. It's godly sorrow which produces a, I'm all in. Like, do you see the baptisms today? Did you hear what they're saying? They are saying a godly sorrow against the Lord. They are saying my sin made a separation between me and God. My sin was destroying my life. But then I saw that God wants to love me and forgive me and he embraces me. And now they're all saying, and from here on, I'm going all in for Jesus Christ. That's only godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow will not produce that at all. Now, a good question at this moment could be like, okay, so, so, and I got this question, I was in Chicago this week with some training, some pastors down there in the HBF training center. And one of the guys, we're talking something about this. And one of the pastors asked, hey, Robbie, does this mean that I beat myself up all the time? Where does the love of God come in? That's like really, really, some of you are asking that right now. Am I supposed to walk around and just say, woe is me, woe is me? In a sense, yes. But here's the thing. When you truly get the morning of sin, it always comes to comfort. See, I say this, the more you are broken, the more you are loved by God. The more you sense your need for him and his grace, the more you will be filled with him and his grace. The more you are aware of the mourning over your sin, the more you are aware of the grace and the love of God. Again, the sinful woman, Luke 7, she is weeping and weeping and washing the feet of Jesus with her tears and her hair. What's happening right there, deep mourning over sin, deep rejoicing in the forgiveness of her savior. See that? That's the beauty of blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. The more you, I will never feel more fulfilled and happy when I'm most broken in myself 
feeling the flood of the grace and the love of God. There's no place I'd rather be when it's all said and done than a puddle of mush and a mess in my sin, knowing the love of God is washing and washing and washing. There's no place I'd rather be. It is absolutely awesome and incredible because it is the ways of the Lord. It is the ways of blessing. Remember, remember, God's power is made perfect in weakness. Acts chapter three, verse 20. The command goes out, repent and turn again. Listen to this, listen to this for someone here. Repent and turn from your sin that your sin may be blotted out that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. You see, you see, it's repentance and a turning from sin that invites the refreshment and the presence of God himself. May I boldly suggest this is why that so much of the church in our nation is so weak and without power? Because there's no true mourning over sin. There's so much fluff. There's so much superficial behavior. There's so much, let's just make our lives happier the way we decide. That is running rampant through the church. And it is, it is, it is a horrific, grievous to God. Because Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. If, if we don't mourn, we will not be truly comforted. We will not know God's power. We will not fully know his grace. See, this is the power of weakness. Do you see, do you see how powerful the Beatitudes can become if you let them in your life? You're starting to see how backwards our thinking can become. And even as you leave here today, you'll be tempted to move in directions opposite to this. Get this in your heart. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. So there's a mourning over personal sin. And then there's this, there's a mourning over public sin. Uh, point 1B, um, over public sin. And what I mean by this is uh, a mourning over sin of the people, uh, a mourning over the sin of the world. This type of mourning is very necessary. Here's a question, do you mourn? Um, do you truly mourn over the state of our nation? Do you truly mourn at the reality of evil that is all around us? We should, but we often don't. Think of all the times in scripture, the anger or the mourning of sin, Moses coming down with the 10 commandments, smashing them on the ground as he sees the sight of the golden calf. Joshua tearing his clothes and falling on his face at the results and the consequences of the sin of Achan in the camp. Eli falling over backwards off the wall, breaking his neck and dying as soon as he hears that the ark of God has been captured by the Philistines. Samuel crying to the Lord all night over the sin and disobedience of Saul. David lying all night over the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba, devastated all throughout Psalm 51. The psalmist who says this, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Jeremiah, his whole ministry seemed to be weeping. He's called the weeping prophet. Why? Because all he did was weep and weep and weep over the sins of God's people. Daniel, absolutely heartbroken, weeping, fasting, sackcloth and ashes. Why? On behalf of the people and their sin. Then there's Jesus. Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Jesus weeping over the hardness of the hearts of God's people who aren't listening to the Lord. There's Jesus weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. You say, wasn't he weeping because Lazarus was dead? He was on his way to raise him from the dead. It must be something else. He's weeping at the consequences and the reality of sin and how it affects his people. 
Jesus is weeping. He's mourning over sin in a public way. Paul in Romans chapter nine, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why? For his countrymen, for the Jews. He says, I wish I could be accursed instead of them. Unceasing anguish and sorrow. Incredibly biblical. Loved ones, there are not enough tears in our pulpits. There need to be more. There's not enough tears in our prayers. There needs to be more. There are not enough tears in our people. There needs to be more. You know, in like almost a reverse side of Beatitudes in Luke chapter six, here's what Jesus says. I'll read it to you. Jesus says this, listen, this is, Jesus says, woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep. So our Beatitude today says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And Luke 6, he kind of flips it and he says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. That's very serious. What's he saying? Jesus, woe to the people who think this is all one big joke. Woe to the people who mock God, who reject him. Woe to the people who don't take anything seriously. He says, for you, when Christ returns, you won't be laughing. When Jesus returns to bring judgment upon this world, the Bible says they will hide and run and try to hide in caves to spare themselves from death. See, 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 our burden is that we would shed tears for those who shed not. We are called to be broken over those who are not broken. We are called as people who know the truth and know the love and the grace of God. We are to be affected emotionally and to see mourning over those who do not know the Lord. This is a biblical theology of mourning. It's serious, it's tough, but listen, it's blessed. It's blessed. And here we, here we find out now, theology of mourning, number two is this now, a theology of, of comfort, a sound theology of comfort. So this powerful beatitude concludes with, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. They shall be comforted. So understand this, comfort's not a better mattress to sleep on. Comfort's not a new appliance for the kitchen. Comfort is not more financial security. Comfort's not riding in first class as opposed to economy class. True comfort is this, ready? True comfort is knowing the reality you've been saved from hell. There is no greater comfort that you've been spared the wrath of God, that you now know true comfort is that, is that you rest in the everlasting arms of the Father. True comfort is that you are a sheep who belongs to the good shepherd. True comfort knows that I belong to the good shepherd and I will never be cast out. True comfort is what God has started in me. He will finish and carry me all the way to glory. There is no bigger or better description of comfort within my life. Now you, you gotta turn to this text with me, okay? Because it's just so good. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. So relevant to our text today. So we're a family here right now. We got a lot of new believers. We've got a lot of new people attending church. Let's help each other out find Isaiah chapter 61, okay? Near the center of your Bible, hit Psalms, turn right, go to Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. You'll hit Isaiah, Isaiah in just a second. Isaiah chapter 61, verse one. This is such a key text for our beatitude this day. Isaiah chapter 61. I trust you'll be blessed by this. Isaiah chapter 61, verse one. This is a prophecy regarding the Messiah. This is a prophecy regarding the Christ, Jesus. In Luke chapter four, Jesus unrolls the scrolls in the synagogue at Nazareth 
and he quotes part, a part of these verses. He sits down and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow, this is all about him. Isaiah 61 verse one, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. No one can say that like Jesus can, why, why? To bring good news to the poor. Remember last week, blessed are the poor in spirit, not the physically poor, the poor in spirit. Jesus Christ has come to bring a gospel of good news to the poor in spirit, to those who know they need him. He has done this. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus Christ has come with his gospel to bring healing, to bring restoration, to bring love, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the opening of the prison, to those who are bound. For everyone who is in under sin uh, and Satan, the chains of Satan, the chains of Satan, Jesus Christ has come to set them free. From anyone who will believe, they will be set free. You heard that again today in testimonies. Jesus Christ has set me free from my chains. I Now I can live in him. I'm no longer in the prison of sin and Satan. Verse two, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim that God has a solution to your sin. That's what's happening today. In Luke 4, Jesus stops right here. And the reason he stops is because what is about to follow is gonna speak of his return. But in Luke's gospel, he was just talking about the reason that he had come to this earth. But we have the context of what we see now all together. Notice verse two, he says, and the day of vengeance of our God. The Christ has come until the day of vengeance where God will come and get vengeance on those who reject him, who hate him, who disregard him. And notice what happens next. Notice the description of what happens to those who love him. It says here, the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. You see? God is gonna bring comfort to those who mourn. For those who are mourning and grieving over sin and grieving over the sin of our world, Jesus Christ is returning one day so soon. And the moment he comes, he is gonna come and bring comfort to all those who are truly mourning over that which matters the most. It goes on, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. My ashes is turning into beauty. The oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Any day now, Jesus, please, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called the oaks of righteousness. Not just a little flimsy plant, an oak of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You see, you see? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is the whole, this is the whole purpose of Jesus Christ. He is returning to comfort those who mourn to those who grieve over sin. This is the work and the power of Jesus Christ. This is the comfort of the gospel message for those who see their sin, who know its consequences, but then they see their savior to believe in him, to love him, to be set free from him, to know the favor of him, to sing a song of deliverance in him, to know the supernatural comfort of becoming a child of God forever. This is the depth and the beauty of the gospel. Think about it, think about it. Why do so many people upon receiving Christ and his life come forward and weep and weep and weep? Here's why, two things are happening. They understand the reality and devastation of their sin, but at the same time, they understand the reality and the beauty of the comfort of God. This is the gospel. 
I am a sinner. I am destroyed in that. But I know a savior. I am saved by that. And both things lead to a tremendous amount of emotion, weeping over the fact that I am lost and yet I am found. That's the beauty. That's the power. That's the comfort of the gospel. So just allow yourself right here through these verses up on the screen here to reinforce your theology of comfort. Psalm 126 says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Here's the reality. There's, 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 there's tears represented here today. There's a lot of hard situations represented in the lives here today. But please know when your tears are rooted in biblical mourning, you are guaranteed they will turn to joy. You are guaranteed of where they will end up. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, he shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. That's glory, that's heaven. Look at this, Psalm 56, verse eight. The psalmist says to God, you have kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. How many of you shedding tears? You need to know this, this is incredible. God keeps every tear. He keeps your tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book, the psalmist says? You don't think God sees you in your mourning? God's gonna take all of that, man. He's gonna make it so much count. The joy that you have coming to your life, the blessing, the favor, the beauty, the grace, the love that is now and what will be. This is the blessing of those who mourn. They shall be comforted. And then Revelation 21. Remember, remember, what was destroyed in Genesis 3 will be reunited in the new heavens and new earth. Now, this is what this is speaking about. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is gonna happen. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And what happens? And what happens when we are reunited with God in perfection? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Notice, notice. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you see? Do you see when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is the secret to happiness. This is the secret to blessing. We gotta pray, let's pray. Father, I pray right now, and I will start here, Lord, as I have all weekend. I will confess, Lord, and I seek to repent of the fact that I have not mourned over my personal sin or the public sin of this world in ways that I should. You know I haven't, Lord. There's no try, uh, try, trying, trying to pretend that something is when it isn't. God, I pray that you will sincerely and genuinely forgive me of this sin. It's so easy for me, Lord, to, to, to look at the sin of others in judgment. It's so easy for me to point out to the world and just condemn the evil that's there and yet to not truly shed tears over this reality. And so we pray, Lord, as a church, and we know, Jesus, the bar that you are setting is incredibly high, but we know that you will not command from us what you're not willing to do in us. And so I pray that people would agree with me right now. We would say, God, we're scared in a sense, but we're also full of faith that you will create in us a greater level of mourning. Because we believe as we mourn, then we are blessed. We believe, Lord, that happy are the unhappy, that blessed are those who mourn. We, 
We believe what you're telling us today, God. And now we want to live it out in a greater degree. But this has to be done by your spirit. God, I pray there's anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ, they will run to you as savior. They will run to you as for freedom and forgiveness of their sins. That you will break the chains of slavery that Satan tries to hold them under. And they will love you, Jesus. They will give their lives to you even now. Jesus, I give you my life. I ask for you to forgive my sins. I want to live for you and you alone. I repent, I turn, that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. Oh God, may that be so and may that happen. Thank you, God, for these truths that are hard, but are right. We seek you now, Lord. Blessed, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Thanks so much for listening to Live in the Light. We found this ministry to be such a blessing to us as well as our listeners. Our mission here at Live in the Light is to see the radical transformation in God's people through the revelation of God's truth. We believe that through the faithful and passionate preaching of God's word, disciples will be made and the church will be strengthened. Our prayer is as people are impacted by Live in the Light, they will be renewed in mind, reinforced in faith, and resolved in will to live in Jesus Christ. But that's only made possible by you, our listeners. We're kept on the air by your generous gifts and donations. If you're interested in giving to Live in the Light, you can do so on our website at liveinthelight.ca or give us a call at 1-844-225-4448. That's all for today. Join us next time at Live in the Light.